0: and i've been teaching from the lord's prayer if you've missed any of those they're all on the website all our wednesday night sermons are on the website you can they're not video they're audio but they're still good to listen to and so this is the lord's prayer but it's it's been kind of reframed and i'm calling it our prayer because jesus was teaching us to pray believers how to pray as his body in the earth. So I want to review some of that outline to maybe engage some of you who haven't heard any of this. And then what we're going to really zero in on tonight is forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. So you know where I'm going? Prepare your hearts to, to hear that. So the initial outline from Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13 went something like this. He said, this then is how you should pray. And I've broken it down into parts. And they're all named with the letter P so you can remember these. He said, our father in heaven, and I feel like that is the letter P perspective. Boy, if we get a revelation of who God is and where he is, where his authority comes from over us, that sets us off in the right position. So it says who we are and who God is. We're his, he is our father. Goes on to say, would be your name. That letter P there is power because there's power when we get a revelation of the name and the names of God and the natures of God. And we're going through those series right now on Sunday mornings. You should really get a hold of those messages, re-listen to those and learn to walk those out. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe this tells us our position and our priority. We are on the earth and it is his priority to release the kingdom. He's given us kingdom authority, and everything we pray should be mission critical. We might think it's something that has to do with us, but it has to do with his kingdom. If we get a revelation of that, things will change. Your prayer life will be focused on his kingdom. So this whole first part of the prayer, this whole outline, it flows together. And let me just plug in an example. So say I am saying, Father in heaven, your name I worship, and I worship the name of the Lord breakthrough. I don't think we've touched that one on our Sunday mornings, but it's I'm magnifying the name of the Lord, breakthrough, creator of everything, author of every good thing. I exalt you over every other solution. I'm not going to seek any other solution, but you, you are Lord of the breakthrough. And this prayer of worship then is going to position us to walk in a kingdom that does what his name says it is. And that's, we're going to break through hindrance. We're going to break through strongholds. Amen, somebody. We're going to overcome things that have been established against the good news of the kingdom. That's how important this prayer is. That's how important worship is. And we just did worship. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Y'all are free, right? Because we're free to worship in spirit and what? Truth. And now, you know, our, did you know our order of service is on the back wall. This is the word, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. Someone needed, needed to see that. So we give the Lord Jesus breakthrough priority. His kingdom is released in the earth. It does no good to have his authority somehow floating around in this invisible kingdom of heaven or in a higher place. It's so that the kingdom of heaven is manifest and released in our now. And it's not just planet earth or territory or Tom's River or Ocean County. It's this piece of earth, this jar of clay, my body that he created from the earth. Are you hearing me? That's where the will needs to come. The kingdom needs to come. The will needs to be done. So I submit this body. This is all part of this prayer that comes. And then... That whole first part, that whole worship part, then the kingdom come part, frames it to this next part. And I think this was the last one, yeah, that I taught on. And it's give us today our daily bread. And this is provision, the letter P, provision. This is a prophetic revelation from the word of God every day for your now. Every day, something from the word should come alive and just explode off the pages. And that should be your, I'm going to live that out. I'm going to know that this is my mission. This is my existence today. That brings us to verse 12. And forgive us our debts. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, it might sound weird, but stay with me as I flesh this out. I believe this is true prosperity. See, as we live a forgiving life and a forgiven life, then it's a defense shield against sickness, not only in our body, our physical body, but in the body of Christ because unforgiveness breeds division, strife, infighting, all that stuff, and it, and it makes the body of Christ sick and not function healthily and not do what God wants it to do. So unforgiveness clouds our ability to clearly pray about anything else. If you have that unforgiveness issue of holding on to those things, it's really hard to worship the name of God. It's really hard to submit yourselves to, to the Lord and say, your will be done, not mine, because you're holding on to this thing. We're going to get a hold of this tonight. A lot of this is repeat for you. Some of this is brand new for some of you. But here's the deal. No matter what, we can always take it to the next level. We can always walk out this at a greater arena. And I think some of you are going to be blown away by what you're going to hear tonight. And then finally, it goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this is preservation and purity it's keeping the main thing, the main thing, the mission and vision, keeping on the path, recognizing that the enemy has distractions and diversions that try to subvert everything else. And unforgiveness is one of the main ones that he uses. So let's look at our little section tonight, Matthew six twelve, from the NIV I'm using. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You're still with me, right? Okay, that was all review. That was all prep, prep for tonight's message. So there's a principle here before I go deeper. There's a principle here. Our ability to receive is dependent upon our ability to give. Sounds counterintuitive, but our ability to receive depends on our ability to give. Let me give you an example. Have you ever noticed people that have a hard time receiving love have a hard time getting love? Relationships are messed up, or convoluted, or corrupt, or codependent, all these other things. Because there's not an understanding or a revelation in that person that I am loved and I can receive love so I can give love. Are you tracking with me? See, God's gift of salvation has so many benefits. So many. And they're all gifts. If God's gifts don't flow through us, then they don't work how he intended them to be. They're not just nice things that he does and says here. They have to go through us for them to actually do what God wants them to do. So when you truly receive something, you're free to give it. And that's what we're going to talk about forgiveness. In fact, the fact that you give it is the evidence that you have received it. We know you receive salvation when you start walking out the salvation of the Lord. Amen, somebody? When you start walking out, the sanctification starts flowing through you. There's evidence that an inward work has occurred and it's now working itself out. Thank you for the water, ushers. You guys are awesome and ladies are awesome. So why did I use the P word prosperity to talk about forgiveness here? And here's what I want you to understand from my perspective. True prosperity is when the word of God is working in your life and working through your life for the purposes of God and his glory. That's it. You are prosperous when that is happening. It isn't how much money you have. It isn't how many possessions you have. It's the effective sharing of your faith that is prosperity. When your whole being, your mind, your will, your emotions, your physical body align with the eternal condition of your born-again spirit. See, when you're born again, you're made new. It's a done deal. Never to be corrupt again. You've translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. What hasn't changed is your soul. That gets transformed by the renewing of your mind. But it has to go from the reality of the spirit and what God's word says is true to you applying it walking it out working it out speaking it out believing faith let's go to 3 John chapter 1 verse 2 remember keep in mind there's a little mini sermonette in here that has to unhinge our hooking our unhook our thinking from what forgiveness is and what it isn't so you're going to hear a little unpacking of matthew 18 and then i'll get back to forgiveness but i want i don't want you to think oh man he's gone off the deep end he's on a totally different subject they're connected and it's important so third john 1 2 says dear friend i pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well most of you know beloved i wish above all things that you prosper and be in what health even as your soul prospers Unforgiveness is not a prosperity of the soul. It's an attack against the soul. It's a, it's a soul issue. And we know that the Lord wants us whole in our mind and our will and our emotions. So physical health and healing, yes, that is part of God's word prospering. When the body of Christ is whole, the word of God is prospering. It's growing and increasing, maturing. So that's bodily health. There's my body health and there's our body health. We need both. We need all of it. The revelation I have, and Pastor Ralph has been, he's he's shared with us recently, he has a burden for this, but healing, physical healing, the truth of the atonement and bodily healing is a revelation. He wants more of the body of Christ to walk in. When we don't walk in that, the entire body suffers. What could we do as a body of Christ, literally just in practical terms, if we were all the picture of health. What happens? What changes? What evidence does a dying and lost world see that, wow, wow, this God, he's something else? So it's important to realize that we, you and I, can say, quote, unquote, I forgive you all day long, But if our heart is holding on, if our heart harbors offense, or we say it, but we stuff our feelings, if we're pretending we're good, no, I'm good, everything's good, but that isn't our true heart belief, stay with me, then God's intended benefits from the act of forgiveness as well as the fullness of salvation won't get properly enacted in us or move through us. This isn't saying you lose your salvation or you're not born again. It's saying the fullness of God's covenant blessing in the kingdom is now hindered. It's worked against and believers can do that because your words and your heart need to be aligned. Your words and your heart, Romans ten ten. For it is with your, what? Heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your, what? Mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I forgive you has to be a confessed heart belief. I believe that I'm forgiven and I believe that you are forgiven. Amen? If not, it's just lip service. So failure to forgive is an invitation to bitterness. When we don't forgive, it's like saying bitterness, come on. Come on in and do what you want to do. It poisons us and puts us in opposition to the grace of God. And his grace was poured out once and for all for everyone. Unforgiveness is the source of many physical illnesses. You may not know that, but you do now. And I'm going to cite some actual medical studies in a minute. It's a a source of physical illness and a source of dysfunction in the body of Christ. Unforgiveness is the ugly brother and sister in the family of pride and arrogance, self-importance, self-exaltation. And their father is Satan, the accuser of the brethren and the father of lies. See, here's the deal. And look. I put on my pants one leg at a time and I walk the same struggles as you do. I have been offended. I have walked in unforgiveness and the Lord has convicted me. And you have too and you will probably fight this battle again. But we need to be aware of the consequences of this. See, when we are the right to be wounded, which the enemy tells you it's a lie, too many of us allow. Too many believers say, I just have this right. I'm going to hold on to it. Because with this situation, it seems like, well, I didn't sin. I didn't do anything. There was no culpability on my part. So it's almost like, that sin is on you. I was sinned against. Come on, somebody. So it really wasn't my fault. Right? Here's the truth. You need to get a hold of this. When we're sinned against, the enemy says, opens the silver platter. I have sin for you. Do you want to accept sin? It's not that we did anything, but once it happens to us, we have a choice. We can now participate in unforgiveness and accept that sin or reject it by saying, I forgive you, you're forgiven, I love you. And you know, I'll get to this later, but you don't even need to do it to the person. You just need to do it before the Lord. Don't take the bait. Amen. The Lord keeps no record of wrong. Did you know that? Once you confess your sin, it's under the blood. He forgets. But church people sure do, don't they? Huh? It's a sad state of affairs. Offense is just unforgiveness. The church today, the body of Christ as a whole, is full of offended people trying to subversively win their case through gossip and manipulation. Don't buy into it. Don't participate in it. If someone tries to rope you in it, say, no, thank you. I'm not going to have any part of it. Too often, the offended find their own comfortable corners in the church. They develop cliques. And then those cliques never interact with one another. And you know what? Nothing gets resolved. And everyone just has their own internal hidden roots. And guess what? Those roots are going to bear fruits eventually. They're going to come out. Oftentimes, this is the case. The offended or the unforgiving person will move from church to church and go around and spread all the bitterness from their last offense to the next place. Then they go to the next place. And then too often... When it's not looking for the perfect church, being offended, going to the next one, it's we'll start our own church. And then all that is is just sowing a whole new crop of bitterness waiting to have a harvest. Is this too real for you guys tonight? Is this too real? None of this shouldn't be happening. It's not God's will and it doesn't agree with his word. We either agree with his word or the word works against us. I, it's sad to tell you. So I want to talk, talk about Matthew 18 because I think there's a little misunderstanding and misapplication of, of this as a vehicle for forgiveness between people. Um, and so let's keep I'm, I'm I'm pressed for time tonight, so I hope you can bear with me as I try to track through pretty consistently here. Before we talk about Matthew eighteen and what I really think that's about, I want to look at matthew five and verse twenty three and twenty four and I think this is the primary, if not the main way that you would uh deal or reconcile with a brother or sister matthew five twenty three and Jesus has taught us this, therefore, if you now this is talking to you, this is talking to me not Someone who's offended you. If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Now, stop right there. Did that person offend you, or are you aware that there's something you may have done that was not right towards them? The Otis is on me as I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit, as I'm sensitive to interpersonal reactions. And if it's a big enough deal and you have to deal with it, here's what he says. It's so serious, you don't need to continue with your act of worship. You can't keep pretending like you're sacrificially living before the Lord because your conscious, the Holy Spirit is working with your conscious to tell you what you need to do. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now reconciliation here is... Me realizing I've done something to bring offense to you. And I'm going to go to you and I'm going to make it right. I'm not putting it on you. I'm not adding a burden to you. You know, you really offended me last year when you said that. So I just want you to know I forgive you. That is not this. That is not biblical. When you do that, you take your issue and now burden someone who probably had no clue what it was about. It's not biblical. Don't do that. It's I am sorry. For, for whatever reason, I feel like I may have done whatever. And so this should be our lifestyle. It's us going to someone if it's an extreme enough case that you the Holy Spirit convicts you and you need to deal with it. What does a church look like if everyone just lives by that truth alone? That's a different situation. So now let's look at Matthew 18, and I'm going to read... Uh, 15 through 17, make some comment and then finish with the rest of the portion there. Again, this is talking about reconciliation. We think, and we think this is what forgiveness and unforgiveness is, and I don't think it's what uh, many think it is. So it says, if your brother or sister sins, and I'm going to talk about what that means, go and point out their fault. Some people just love this. Oh, good. I get to go, you, 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 you. You did this. You did this. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Let me just knock off the last line there. Just... You all follow Jesus around the Gospels. Let me ask you a question. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? He had dinner with them. He loved them. So if you want to treat someone like a pagan or a tax collector, you love them. You love them back into the kingdom. You love them back into right relationships. So stay with me. If you would read Deuteronomy 17, and Jesus knew the law inside out, upside down, backwards and forwards, and he was the manifestation of the law, much of what he taught was undoing what the religious people of the time had applied the law. So Deuteronomy 17 says, if a member of the community who has done evil in the sight of the Lord and worshiped false gods, this is a serious thing. This is all out chasing after false gods. Then they had to have two or three, same correlation here, witnesses, and then they would put them to death. Okay? So this isn't Matthew 18, verse 15, if your brother or sister does something that bothers you. No. This is if they are sinning in a way that is taking them away from God, if it's leading them on a path to forsake the truth, are you hearing me? And this is someone in your life that you're close enough to realize, if I don't intervene, that's a problem. You're not offended by them. You understand by the truth of God's word that what they're doing is not good for them. Are you understanding this? This is what, this is what it's like. So he goes on to give the principle we should be after. And that's the verses that are coming here. This is what takes place when... We pursue the winning back of someone to the faith who is sinning by falling completely away. So verse 18, he says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth, these witnesses, agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name... There am I with them. When two or three of you go to restore someone who has fallen from the faith, who has walked away from the Lord, who is sinning in a, in a lifestyle that is rejecting the truth of the gospel, I will agree with you and we can restore this person back. This isn't personal petty offense. They haven't offended you. It's amazing if you get a hold of what this really is about. So here's what happens. We're agreeing together as the church that the love of God is binding. It's bound in heaven, it's bound on earth. It's the truth of his word through Jesus Christ, not the law of Deuteronomy, but the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that law The old law that was against us has been broken and we're now loosed, we're now set free. Are you getting this? Religion no longer holds us in bondage, being stoned to death. Go and sin no more. Who are your accusers? You gotta look at the consistency of Jesus' actions and how it lines up with the old covenant and new covenant before you draw a conclusion what the scripture is telling us to do. So this might upset some of you, but right before this, in context, Jesus talks about a man who would chase the wayward, rebellious sheep to bring it back to the fold. Sheep chasing is about correction, not pastoral care and woolly stroking. We have people that want us to just wait on them hand and foot and chase them when they disappear, and that's not what, what Jesus pursuing the one is about. See, it's a rescue mission. Jesus, before this, said, Woe to those who cause a little child to go astray. Suffer them to come to the kingdom. Do you know he was so angry with the religious leaders of the day who were the shepherds at their neglect and abuse of the people that they had caused the people to go astray? To be misled. So here's the thing. Most true lost sheep aren't just out there lost and running away. They've been deceived and misled by the spirit of religion, and they need to be delivered back from that. Do you know the prodigal son came home after he repented? He came back to the Father's love. There wasn't a chasing of that sheep. Okay, that's another sermon for another day, but you understand what I'm talking about. So Jude writes about this, and it confirms what I'm just saying here. Keep going. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Verse 23. This is Matthew 18 in action. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. That is Matthew 18. It is not a way to bring the church government into solving the petty issues between people who can't get along. It has nothing to do with it, And that has nothing to do with whether I can walk in love and forgiveness towards you or not. Amen, somebody. This doesn't hurt too bad, right? It's good. We're free. So back to unforgiveness and the effects of it. In an online article from Johns Hopkins Medicine entitled, Forgiveness, Your Health Depends on It. Dr. Karen Schwartz, MD, director of the Mood Disorders Adult Consultation Clinic at the Johns Hopkins Hospital said this. This will blow your mind. It confirms scripture. There's an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. Chronic anger puts you into a fight-or-flight fight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Now, God gave you an immune system to keep you healthy. When you destroy that or it gets destroyed, that leads to all kinds of bodily sicknesses. And <clears throat> this chronic anger or, or harboring emotional issues will destroy your immune response and all kinds of things that happen. So she says, increase the risk of depression, heart disease, diabetes, and various other conditions. She said, forgiveness, however, calms stress levels and leads to improved health. Daily, get up, get with God, and forgive. Forgive. Forgive healthy for you. The article went on to say, forgiveness is not just about saying the words, it is an active process in which you make a conscious decision to let go of negative feelings, whether the person deserves it or not. And it's not up to you to decide whether they deserve it or not. I'm just going to tell you that. The Lord knows they deserve it. They deserve forgiveness. As you release the anger, resentment, and hostility, you begin to feel empathy, compassion, and sometimes even affection for the person who wronged you. Have you ever had that experience I have? I finally let something go. I finally released something in forgiveness, and all of a sudden I had overwhelming love for that person. I had a different perspective and the healthy perspective of compassion and love. People who hang on to grudges, however, she said, are more likely to experience severe depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. That's a mess. Okay, I'm going to do one more clinical study, and then we'll get back to the word. This one, this one will, will surprise you. This is an online article from Dr. Darren Starwin titled, the psycho-emotional roots of cancer. Now, let me just tell you, he doesn't have a revelation, of the truth of God's word. So, what he calls psycho is is uh, spiritual, where the mind connects to the spirit and soul. Okay. So he re- he um, took CT scans of cancer patients. Now, don't don't say well. Every time I'm in unforgiveness, I'm going to get cancer. I'm not saying that. But there is a correlation between sickness and disease and unforgiveness. You've got to believe that is true. So what he found is that every cancer and related disease starts as a serious, acute, dramatic, and isolating conflict shock experience. Conflict shock experience. It manifests simultaneously on three levels. He calls them psyche- brain and the organ so our mind and our will and our emotions connect to our physical brain and our brain throughout our body talks to the rest of our organs bless the Lord O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name we want our entire being to praise and worship the Lord Almighty to function in the way he designed it but if you let the enemy get into this this gets corrupted (laughs) So he said, the theme of the psychic conflict determines the location of the focus. In other words, to, to decode, if, if it's, if it's um, a certain kind of emotional trauma, then it manifested in a certain part of the brain correlating to a certain organ. Are you with me? I don't want to bring fear into the room, so I'm not going to read the list. Of these, but get the connection. And then he said, the course of the psychic conflict correlates with the development of the focus on the brain. So here's what what happened. He studied hundreds of patients and took CT scans. And he was treating them, trying to trying to find the emotional issue that they had and trying to, to bring that back into being. Without a revelation of God's word. So he, it was an uphill battle. But he had some success just using natural... According to Hammer, human beings are very susceptible to the creation of lesions in the brain and organs due to shock and trauma. These types of lesions create something like a short circuit in the brain that if unresolved, we're talking about unforgiveness, conflict, bitterness, strife, they can give birth to cancerous tumors. Dr. Hammer has been able to show the precise location and form of these lesions through CT scans of his patients' brains. In the scans, they look like concentric ripple patterns produced by dropping a pebble into a still pond. So it starts at a point, and it goes out. Does that remind you of anything in the Word? Lest a root of bitterness springing up defile many. it, It takes one place. With partner with, it can grow. So here's the thing. Let's see. It showed that the concentric circle lesions often also formed in a related organ at the same time as they appear in the brain. This is generally the organ that develops the cancer. And see. Um, Oncologists and people that are trying to chase cancer often think, well, it's just exploding in all these random places, but there's a connection between your mind, your will, and emotions, and where it could manifest. So he, this was his conclusion. This validates a physical basis for the mind-body connection. So here's the deal. It's great to know the healer. It's great to look to him for healing. It's another thing to partner with our creator, And live a life of letting go. Live a life of forgiveness so the enemy can't find territory. That's right. We don't want to partner with him. We don't want to agree with him in any way. So holding on to unforgiveness is like keeping trauma. It's letting the mind continue to release out-of-balance hormones, chemical responses, and more that ultimately work against the body, causing sickness. So just... What is cancer? Do you know what it is? It's simply abnormal cell growth. It's abnormal growth. It's not in balance. It's not in order. It's not God's order. And cancer has to feed on something. Any disease has to feed on something. What you feed grows. What you starve dies. You understand that? So think about the American diet. Think about the American stress load. Think about the average person who's, who's dealing with unforgiveness, guilt, PTSD. It's basically a recipe for life-altering illness. Amen. But you know what? That's not our destiny. Amen. And we can change that by making a daily decision to forgive. So... Knowing the truth sets us free. Peter, like us, as Jesus talks about forgiveness, said, well, hmm, let me see if I can get some rules on this whole forgiveness thing. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. That sounds generous, doesn't it? Seven Seven times? Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And you know he wasn't saying 77 times. He was like, just keep forgiving. Just always. And Jesus modeled this. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Even our Lord, betrayed, put to death unjustly. Unforgiveness not only affects us individually, it affects the entire body of Christ. I want to talk about that just for a little bit, and then we'll finish up. Hebrews 12, 14, 15. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. I think that's interesting that a set-apart life has a lot to do with our relationship with one another and our peaceful interactions with one another. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What did the doctor say happens when you regularly forgive? You shift from that bitterness and that anger and that resentment to compassion, which is healthy, kindness, humility, gentleness. This releases the things that are supposed to be in your body to be healthy, to be well-adjusted, to be happy. And then forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, Which binds them all together in perfect unity. Does this passage say, go just try to work everything out with these people? Go tell them you're offended? No, it just says, forgive. Just forgive. Forgive and let it go. Ephesians 4:2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Talking a little bit more about this in terms of bitterness, James 3, 13 and 16 writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in where? Your hearts. What do we talk about? Your heart and your mouth, right? What releases salvation? What releases forgiveness? Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find what? Disorder and every evil practice. Cancer is disorder of the cells in your body division, strife, disunity in the body of Christ, it's disorder. It comes from bitterness. Bitterness is unforgiveness. When there's trouble in the church, we know there's a failure to love and to forgive. And as much as we want to diagnose the issues, well, you wanted the color carpet blue and you wanted the color carpet green, or you wanted these chairs, or you wanted this scripture on the wall, whatever. The true heart of the issue isn't the the facts of the differences, it's somewhere along the line we haven't forgiven. Someone took a different position that wronged us. And so instead of walking in forgiveness and saying it's no big deal, we can, we can do this, we draw our opposing battle lines. I'm just telling you right now, for me personally, I'd rather be forgiven than Right. I'd rather be a forgiver than have anything go my way. If nothing ever goes my way again, I'd rather live in forgiveness and know that I'm forgiven and do what Jesus said to do and be healthy and live a long life pleasing to him than be right about anything. Unforgiveness is an invitation or can be the cause for the parts of the curse of the law that we have been redeemed from. Can you imagine that? Knowing you're redeemed from the curse of the law, then stepping back into it and saying, okay, I guess some of these things I'll accept. Proverbs 26.2, like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. Now we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, Because we deserve the curse because we were lost and dead in our sin. We sinned against God. We did it, not him. But then he made a way. Now the blood of Jesus lifts that curse. But you now go back and partner with, with the enemy, a curse causeless, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. The problem with bitterness is when you get used to it, you don't remember what the pure tastes like. How many of you have had that experience? You get used to the water at your house, and it's nasty, and a neighbor comes over and goes, this is terrible. Well, it's, it's what we're used to. We like it. You don't know. You live in bitterness. You start seeing the whole world from that lens, and you don't even realizing it. And here's what happens. You leave out the roles of forgiveness in the redemptive work of Christ. It's a huge part of what he did. And so when I don't walk in forgiveness, then my life is fairly unexamined. There's none of us can go around and say, I'm always right. I'm never wrong. I've never wronged anybody. But some of us forget that. We think, well, it's just between me and God. And we lose perspective. First Corinthians 11:22 through 30. He's talking about communion here, um, coming together with, for the celebration of the body of Christ, but not really realizing what He's done. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. It's the sin that we buy into. When instead of forgiving, we say, okay, I can't give you forgiveness because you did something to me. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. <clears throat> For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Verse 30, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. It's, it's simple. It's, it's a lack of understanding the fullness of the covenant blessing that God has offered to us by abdicating a portion of that, by saying, I'm going to hold on to unforgiveness. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul writes, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Challenge the word of God. Look into that mirror and say, am I walking humbly? Am I walking a life of forgiveness? And look, if you're struggling with some physical sickness, I would say it's probably a healthy thing to, to take inventory and say, do I need to to forgive? Do I need to take care of some issues? Maybe, maybe I'm letting some things that I thought I had let go of recrop up and bother again. And then we need to we need to let those go. See our faith in the finished work of Christ should bear fruit bitterness and unforgiveness is not the fruit of faith it's the fruit of not believing we're truly forgiven the fruit of a forgiven life is one that offers forgiveness I started with that if you, if you give it I know you've received it if you don't demonstrate it I know you haven't received it and so what happens I said this earlier I'm going to repeat it does this mean salvation is taken away absolutely not the cross isn't nullified in your life. That's a finished work. But the fullness of covenant blessing intended for us as New Testament believers, it's now being contended against. It's double-mindedness. James said this in James 1, 6-8, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. That is hardcore. But it's a key to our prayer life. We have some unanswered prayers. We have some stuckness. We have some questions. One area might be forgiveness. So let me just drive this part home. We are forgiven as we live a forgiving life. It's not as though Jesus doesn't, forgive us. He has forgiven us, but we have to receive it and we have to walk it out. Our belief shows up. It's a testimony when we walk and live in forgiveness. That's how I know my daughter gets something that I taught her. She starts to live it out. She doesn't just mimic by saying it. I, I see it demonstrated in her life. And let me tell you something about that child. She is the most loving, compassionate, peacemaking child you'll ever come across. Holding unforgiveness is like saying, God, what you did wasn't good enough to cover their sins against me. I can't trust you to deal with them, so I'm going to keep holding them hostage in my heart. And in doing so, we've rejected what was offered to us by withholding it from others. This opens the door for the effects of the curse of the law to be an agent of buffeting from the evil one. It's like denying help when it's offered to you. The Lord is saying to us in this prayer stay in forgiveness because it's medicine to your body. Keep in a repentant, humble state because it's healthy for you. And Jesus is saying, for my body. What should we do? What should I do? What should James Wheeler do? Make this a big part of your daily prayer life. If you're not spending time doing this, get back to doing this. Yeah, but no one's really bothered me lately. It doesn't matter. Every day. There's people in my life that I've had issues with that I, that I have forgiven, but still, during this time in, in my prayer life, I will ask the Lord, Lord, who do I need to continue to release that, that could be an issue for me? And names will pop up, and I'll just call them out. And I'll just do it. And no one needs to know but me and him. But it's healthy for me. And it's because it's healthy for me, it's healthy for you. I'm a better me to minister to you because of that. Give it all to God and let it go every day. Let it go, let it go. No matter how many times you have to keep forgiving someone in prayer, keep doing it. Keep doing it. This would be my advice. Don't go to the person that's not going to help them or you. They will be held accountable before God. You hold yourself accountable before God. And if some off in the blue horizon, someone comes to you after years and years and finally says, you know, I'm so sorry. That's great. That would be a sweet, wonderful moment of release for both of you. But until then, you just let, let the Lord deal with them. See, forgiveness doesn't resolve the conflict, but what it does, it, it reconciles it at the cross and cancels its power out. Amen? Forgiveness reconciles the issue at the cross and cancels its power out over you, so it won't hinder your spiritual growth nor your effectiveness. Now, 3 John 2, we talked about that. I have a question for you, a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand. Do you want to prosper and be in health? If you do, and I think everyone does, then you must forgive. You must live a lifestyle of forgiveness. You know, I often try to come up with creative ways to answer the question, "How are you doing?" Because my personality can't stand that question. I, as an introvert, small talk is like my least favorite. Just so you know, doesn't mean I don't love people. So I come up with creative ways to answer that question, like, um, you know, "How you doing?" Well. I'm alive in Christ, or something like that. And I think a good response would be, when someone says, "How are you doing?" I'm walking in forgiveness. Amen. Amen. I'm forgiving. I'm forgiven, and I'm forgiving. Testimony of a friend of mine whose daughter was dealing with uh, a serious blood cell issue, which she was walking out the healing truth of God's word. When everyone talked, came to her and said, "How are you doing?" She said, "I'm making platelets." He said, I'm making platelets. My body is making platelets. In other words, God is healing me. So maybe you need to say, hey, I'm I'm walking in forgiveness. That's, That's how I'm doing. Is this easy? No. But it's the mark of maturity. It's the mark of a believer. So, 827. I want to invite you to stay as long as you would like because I think if you heard this word, there's probably something you might want to do. And I want to invite you to come after I close. So let's just keep it chill so people can do what they need to do. But I would just say um, spend some time down front at the altar here tonight, you and God. Take care of any unreconciled accounts. And even if you don't have any, I would say come down here and be, be quiet before the Holy Spirit and let, let him show you where, where you're blind where you're missing it. And watch him take care of some things for you tonight. And this is a challenge too. Don't repeat your offense to anyone. Just cry out to God. Let him know. God, that hurts so much. I'm so disappointed. Amen. But thank you that you forgive them and I can forgive them. Because a lot of it is perception. A lot of it is a vain imagination we've embraced. I know you don't want to hear that, but in reality, a lot of it is something we have brought upon ourselves. So deal with it tonight. And I want to challenge you, watch the change that will take place in your life. And I have, a, I have an exciting vision question. What do you think would happen if everyone just in our church walked in this revelation you think some things would change? You think God would be pleased? You think he would smile? You're not sure, are you? I, th- I think so. I think, I think a lot of things would change. That'd be a good prayer goal for us. Daily to pray that we would all live this out and reap the benefits of God's blessing. So... Forgive us our debts, Lord, as we forgive those who sinned against us. Let's pray right now. Father, I thank you that I am forgiven. I thank you that we are forgiven. And I ask you to help us, empower us by the Holy Spirit to walk in forgiveness. Help us to not offend. Help us to not be offended. But when those things occur in our humanity, in, in our fallen sinful condition, Lord, help us to be quick to forgive and to walk in forgiveness. And I pray right now, I come against the power of darkness and the enemy who's tried to use this as a destructive path in the lives of anyone in this room, in the lives of anyone listening. We will rebuke you, Satan. We say, you're a liar. And we say, we speak the truth and say, be broken in Jesus' name. Let forgiveness come in like a flood dissolve and destroy that offense, destroy the traumatic event that occurred and let the blood of Jesus, the forgiving, reconciling blood of Jesus come in and make all things new. Thank you for the future that we have because we walk in forgiveness and we walk in love. In Jesus' name, amen.